Take your Bibles and turn with me. Are you ready for the Word of the Lord this morning? How many are going to preach with me? Where's my preachers in the house? All right. That helps me know that you're paying attention and you're awake. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. Mark, chapter 9, beginning in verse 14. And here's how, how I'd like to do it today. I'm going to have everybody stand to honor the reading of the Word. If you, as you go to your Bible, Mark chapter 9, obviously it will be on the screen. It is a fairly lengthy passage, and so to get through it and save a little bit of time, I'm going to read most of it. But if it's highlighted in kind of a, a yellow goldenrod color, that's what you're, supposed to, that what you're supposed to read. And you know it goes like this. If you don't do it good enough the first time, you're going to have to keep doing it. That's just the way it is. Mark chapter 9, starting with verse 14. When Jesus came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes that were disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him and greeted him. And he asked the scribes, good job. Then a man in the, in the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit, obviously not able to talk. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams at the mouth and gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. And so I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out. And so Jesus answered him and said, Oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long am I going to have to put up with you? Worded a little bit different than King James. And then they brought him to Jesus. And when the evil spirit saw Jesus, immediately that spirit convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. And so Jesus asked his father, how long has this been going on? And the father said, from childhood. And often that spirit has thrown him both into the fire and thrown him into the water to destroy him. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, One more time with authority. And then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And he became as one dead. So much so that many people said, but Jesus took him by the hand. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we cast it out? And so he said to them, So the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall, it's going to stand forever. You did a great job. You can be seated. I want to speak to you this morning for the time I have remaining on bring the child to Jesus. Bring the child to Jesus. Yes, I'm speaking to fathers this morning, 
believing in God that they will find some measure of encouragement in the Word today. But also there's something here for everyone in this passage, so I want everybody to listen up today. Dad, this day, Father's Day, underscores the correlation between you and your child or you and your children. You are only a dad because you have a child. It's your child who makes you a father. Maybe it's your biological child or children. Maybe it's an adopted child. Maybe it's a stepson or a stepdaughter. Whatever happens to your child profoundly impacts you. Am I right about it? When your child is thriving, the world is good. When your child is not thriving, nothing in the world seems to be right. Am I right about that? Our text today puts a dynamic spotlight on this unique relationship between a dad and his child. So let's consider it for just a few minutes. This passage of Scripture is occasioned after Jesus and three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, had been on the mountain of transfiguration. They're up on Mount Hermon, and while there, they see an absolutely amazing sight. Jesus is transfigured right before them. His pre-incarnate splendor, the glory that was his with the Father, the light that shined only in the regions of Godhead, now appeared on Mount Hermon. Jesus flashes his resplendent glory in front of them, so much so that they bow in that magnificent sight. And then, you know, as you've read it before, I'm sure there appears Moses and Elijah, or we would say it this way, the law and prophecy, if you will, Moses and Elijah. They come and they stand there with Jesus. And the disciples see all that are with Jesus, see all this in the middle of the day. The sight is so blinding. The appearance of Jesus is ablaze with the glory of God. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there and seen that? But just below them, just down at the bottom of this mountain that, on which they are atop, right down in the valley, there's a very dark situation going on. And forgive me if this appears to be a stretch in any way, but it, this is what struck me. There's something subtle that I think is, uh, is an applicable point for us today as we read this text. I think it should serve as a caution to us to enjoy the mountaintop experiences that God brings your way. Some people have trouble enjoying anything. They're, they're afraid the other shoe's going to drop at any second. This can't possibly be that good, no matter how beautiful, how wonderful, uh, how full of splendor it is. They're, they're waiting for the bad part to happen. Anybody know anybody like that? I know a few. I think we should enjoy the mountaintop experiences. Have a wonderful time when you're up there on that mountain. Can I get a witness in the house today? Because if that's where you are today, and I know for some of you that is exactly where you are, God's been good to you. His blessing has favored you over and over. Your business is doing well. Your family's doing well. You ought to be the loudest hallelujah shouter in the house today. If that's where you are, then breathe it in. Take it all in. Because I'm going to tell you something. There will surely be a day when you have to go down into the valley. Young people... 
Stay young just as long as you possibly can. Getting old is not all it's cracked up to be. Is there a witness in the house today? Enjoy that mountaintop as long as you possibly can because soon enough some realities are going to smack you right upside the head of what life is like as an adult and responsibilities and bills and issues. Who knows what I'm talking about here today? And you're going to be down in the valley with the rest of us. If it's not one thing, it's another. Well, here they are up on this mountaintop enjoying the presence of Jesus, watching him talk to Moses and Elijah. But down in that valley, just a few steps from them, just below them, a father is utterly despondent. It's a father in great distress because his son is possessed by the devil. You read it. There's this demonic spirit which has inhabited his child. And he brings this child to the disciples of Jesus because he assumes that since they have been with Jesus, they should have the same power that Jesus has. And the Bible tells us clearly, he brings his boy to the disciples of Jesus to heal him, but they could not. In the meantime, Jesus is coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. And Jesus sees all this commotion and all the turbulent activity, and he asks, what's going on here? What's happening? When Jesus steps into the scene, he sees the scribes arguing and bickering with one another because his father has brought his son to the disciples of Jesus, and they cannot heal him. And clearly what has happened is this. The father has encountered a tremendous lack of spiritual power. Parents, let me give you a word of wisdom this morning. There's something in your child, something in my child, something in me and something in you that can only be dealt with and or eliminated, gotten rid of, if that's the case, by the power of God himself. Don't think for a minute that coming to church doesn't make a difference in your child's life. It absolutely does. You don't ever know how much they're absorbing when they are sitting here. They may look like they're tuned out, They may look like they're not paying attention, but you have no idea what is being absolutely soaked up in their spirit and in their heart. Am I right about that? Because coming to church and bringing your child to church makes a dynamic difference. Many of us here today who are saved by the blood of the Lamb can testify that some storms that we've been able to come through have been because somebody brought us to church. It's fine, take your child to baseball practice. Take them to softball practice. Take them to ballet, take them to dance, whatever their proclivity is, their cheerleader practice. Let them go do basketball camp and all that. But when that's over, they're gonna discover that those are not the things that they're gonna need to deal with the real matters in life that they're gonna have to face. So bring them to church to hear the word of the Lord, the eternal word of God. Is there an amen in the house today? Am I at Bethesda today? Okay, just checking. Not only bring them, but be consistent about bringing them. 
consistent about bringing them. Please, I'm going to meddling right now. I'm just going to be honest about it. Don't allow sports and all the things that are available to them today to take priority over their spiritual formation and the condition of their eternal soul. I beg you in the name of Jesus, don't allow that to happen. Those are wonderful things. They're part of the, the, the holistic nature of your child, which should be encouraged and developed, but not at the cost of their eternal soul. And I can promise you this. At some point, that child is going to say this to you. They don't want to go to church. Mama, I'm tired. I don't want to go to church. You know what? I just don't fit in. I, I don't fit in with those kids there. They, 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 don't, they don't treat me right. Now, I've only been doing this for about 44 years. So you don't have to believe me when I tell you this. You don't have to believe the journey that we've been on here for a long time. 44 years just in this house. But I can tell you that myself and every pastor on, ourself, on our staff will, will tell you that we see a direct correlation between the spiritual formation and the spiritual maturity of, uh, of children and students and the consistent effort of the parent to get that child to church. You want to know why? Of course they're going to tell you they don't want to go. You can't see through that? Of course they're going to tell you that they don't fit in and they don't this and they don't that. They're going to give you every reason. You're going to go, oh, bless his heart. Of course they're going to tell you that. But at what point will you have enough backbone to stand up and say, but I care about your eternal soul. Now get in that car. I'm taking you to church. Preach it. Let me tell you something. I'm thrilled to know that Pastor Shaler has just over 80 students going to church camp in just a few days. You know what that tells this pastor? It tells me that there are parents who care about their child's spiritual formation. They're willing to do whatever it takes for that to happen. They care. Consistency is the name of the game when it comes to raising your child to love God. Not only consistency in you getting them to church, you getting them to youth group, you getting them to the children's ministry. Consistency with all of that is what's important, but also consistency in your own life. Can we talk about it? But I got to give you the other side of it. When you do bring them to church, it would be sad if you bring them to the house where they're supposed to get healed, supposed to be fed, and there's a lack of spiritual power. That's exactly what our father in this text encountered with the disciples of Jesus. There ought to be healing in the house of God. There ought to be deliverance in the house of God. We ought to be able to rescue someone, otherwise we should take the name off of the building. The people of God, from the leadership all the way through the whole of the body ought to be prayed up and functioning with spiritual power when you walk in this door. Oh, I wish I had some folks who believe what I was saying today. Look with me at what our name suggests. Bethesda Community Church literally means, who knows, house of mercy, place of grace, 
for this community of Fort Worth, Texas, and now all those that we are reaching through the internet and YouTube and whatever all the other things that we're, that we're on. And I want to tell you this. You maybe haven't thought of it this way. This pulpit is placed in the center of this platform intentionally, and it's given prominence intentionally because we believe in this house. We believe that in the Word of God, there is all the power that you and your child need for anything that they might face in life. Did you know that Scripture tells us He exalts His Word above His name? We believe in the power of the Word of God. I'm telling you today, there's power in the Word of God. It has life. It is life. It will change your life. The sacrament is wonderful and needs to be faithfully and regularly acknowledged, and we certainly do in this house, and engaged in. But that's not where the power is. We believe that the power is in the Word of the Lord. The church should be a house of mercy and a place of grace, because there's not a person walking in shoe leather who does not need God's amazing grace and His incredible mercy. If that's you, shout hallelujah. The church should be... Dan, are you going to say that? The church should be a house of mercy and a place of grace, not a museum for frozen saints. When I come to church, I don't care what you're wearing. I don't care where you went to school. I don't care how much money you have or what you're driving. I just want to see Jesus in you. And a lost and dying world need to see and experience a church that is vibrant in spiritual power. If you believe that, put your hands together. When that father brought his son to the disciples of Jesus, he saw a lack of spiritual power. They tried, did the best they could, but they could not. He brought his son to the church, as it were, for healing and deliverance, and they could not because they lacked spiritual power. But then, but then, yonder comes Jesus. I want you to say that, yonder, with a little more passion. Come on. Thank God, church, that when trouble arises, Yonder comes Jesus. Thank God that when other people can't do it, yonder comes Jesus. Mama can't do it. Your daddy can't do it. Society can't do it. Culture can't do it. The president can't do it. The governor can't do it. But I'm so glad to know that when my back is against the wall, yonder comes Jesus. And I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but Jesus has a way of showing up just when it looks like all hope is gone. Just when it looks like we're at the end. He has an amazing way of showing. It was, it was not until they ran out of wine that Jesus said, um, get me some water pots. John 2. And when they brought Jesus the water pots, Jesus stared at the water the water stared back at its master, and it blushed red into wine. 
And the master of ceremonies said, oh, you saved the best for last. No, what happened is Jesus showed up and it looked like all hope was gone. It was not until the daughter of Jairus was dead that Jesus went into the house and called her by name. And she came back to life again. That's because Jesus showed up when it looked like all hope was gone. It was not until that widow was about to bury her son that Jesus put his, simply put his hand on the casket and that boy came back to life because Jesus showed up when it looked like all hope was gone. And it was not until it looked like your life was going down the tubes, you were down to your last dime, you were down to your last friend, and Jesus showed up. Won't he do it? I said, won't he do it? I said, won't he do it? Just before it's over, he shows up. Yonder comes Jesus. Say it. And this father, who had seen a lack of spiritual power, now, for the first time, meets the Lord of spiritual power. His disciples could not do it. But now he meets the Lord of spiritual power. Jesus said, what's, uh, what, what's going on here? What's all this arguing? What's all this fussing about? The scribes didn't want to answer because they'd been picking on the disciples for walking with Jesus but unable to do anything. The father is exasperated because he's tried all kinds of stuff. You know, we, it's what we parents do. We'll stop at nothing to fix what's wrong with our kids. They, they, I, I, now, it's not in the scripture like this. This is conjecture. I'm sure they've tied strings around the boy's neck. I'm sure they put oil on him. They probably put some sassafras leaves around him, gave him some kind of weird tea to drink, boiled the husks from corn and told him to drink that. They tried it all, but they could not. And Jesus said, bring that boy to me. And parents, dad specifically today, you might have tried psychiatrists for the boy. You've bought the $300 pair of tennis shoes. You've given that child every kind of iPhone that's made. You've tried everything. But I have some good advice for you this morning. Bring him to Jesus. Not a life coach. That can be fine. But bring him to Jesus. I don't know about you. My mom and dad didn't have anywhere else to go but to take me to Jesus when I was sick, when I had a raging fever. I remember the time I had food poisoning so bad, was so dehydrated, they thought I was going to be gone. They didn't have any place to go but to take me to Jesus. When I was struggling, when I was in developmental stages of life, some of them better than others, only place they could take me was to Jesus, and I'm so glad they did. And Jesus said, bring that boy to me. And he said, and how long, how long has this been going on? How long has he been in this condition? With exasperation, the father answered, um, since he was a small child. The, the devil throws him in the fire, and sometimes the devil throws him in the water. The, uh, and that spirit that's in him is trying to kill him. And I, I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. And then listen to what that father said. He said, but if you can do anything, 
You understand he's talking to Jesus. If you can do anything. Now don't be too hard on the father because he's, he's done all the right things here that he knew to do. He's brought the boy to, to church, theoretically. He brought the boy to the disciples of Jesus, which in our day be like, he brought him to the board members and the trustees. He brought him to the ministry leaders, brought him to the worship team. He, he brought him to the ushers and greeters. He, he brought him to all the church volunteers, brought him to the folk who were with Jesus all the time. And he figured if, if they can't do it, then I, I doubt if their master can do it either. No wonder he came to that conclusion. In desperation, the father said, they, they tried but could not do it. But if, if you can do any, anything. Well, I just want to show you something about this verse 23 of chapter 9. The way the phrase of Jesus in his response is presented in English is not anywhere near as strong as it is in the original Greek. Now, we read from the New King James Version, and it politely says, here was Jesus' answer to that man when he said, if you can do anything. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Now, that's pretty, and that's nice, and there you go. But can I just boldly tell you how it appears in the Greek as I poked around and looked at it, the way Jesus responded? And actually, I have to tell you, the New Living Translation seems to have captured the original um, attitude and atmosphere of Jesus' response to the closer to the original than the others. The New Living says in Mark 9, 23, what do you mean if I can? Jesus asked, anything is possible if a person believes. His, his Jesus' response, and some of you might think, I can't imagine Jesus talking like, what do you mean if I can do anything? Just who do you think you're talking to? Uh, maybe you'd be Better off asking somebody who you're talking to. Why don't you go talk to that woman with the issue of blood? She'll tell you what I can do. Why don't you go talk to the people who were out in the, the desert place and there was nowhere to buy bread and I took five loaves and, and two fish and I, I fed 5,000 uh, uh, men, not counting the women and children. They'll tell you what I can do if I can. Talk to Peter's mother-in-law who had a fever unto death and I just walked into the room and she came back to life. She'll tell you what I can do. Or how about this? Drive up to Bethesda Community Church at 4700 North Beach in Fort Worth and talk to some of the people sitting in that service this morning at Bethesda who thought they were never going to make it, who thought there was no way, but I picked them up and turned them around. They'll tell you what I can do. What do you mean if I can you're looking at what you're looking for. You're talking to what you're talking about. What do you mean if I can? Bring that boy to me. Because bringing him to me is not the same thing as bringing him to my disciples. The disciples are a reflection of my power. I am the real power. And Jesus said to this man, if you can believe, all things are possible. Now, the man has just a little faith, but I want to remind all of you today, because if you're like me, you've had plenty of situations, plenty of experiences where all you had was a little faith, but a little faith is better than no faith. It's a lot better than no faith, and this morning, all you need, dear friend, is a little faith. 
I remind you, God can do something with a little bit. Yes, he can. Little is much when God is in it. But you have to place it in the master's hand. And Jesus said, bring that boy to me. And he said to the father, if you can believe, all things are possible. But listen to this desperate daddy. He said, Lord, I do believe, but I, I, I need some help. Here, let me tell you what I need. I need you to help my unbelief. Isn't that honest? Isn't that like most of us? Lord, I, I, I believe. There's something in that statement. Lord, I, I believe. I, I know you're... I know you have power. I know you have all authority. I, I know that's true, but, but my situation is overwhelming to me. I'm living in the, 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 under the cloud of, of my circumstances. And most days it's difficult for me to even cope with it at all, so I need you to help my unbelief. I have a feeling there's a couple of people in the room this morning who know what I'm talking about. When you admit that you are struggling with, not necessarily doubt, but that you only have a little faith, if you can admit that I'm not as strong as I ought to be, I'm not able to stand as tall as I ought to be able to stand, but Lord, if you will help me, if you will help my unbelief, I will believe what you said. And there is someone here this morning who has been struggling with a wayward child. You've been praying for a boy who just will not turn around. You've been praying for a daughter who refuses to change her ways. And you're just about to give up because you've tried everything and you've tried everybody. I'm simply reminding you this morning, bring them to Jesus, lay them in the master's hand, and I dare you to bring them before the Lord in prayer. And to the young people here this morning, I would say this, if you have a praying mother or a praying father or a praying grandfather or grandmother, even though you may try to walk away from the faith you've been raised in, you will eventually have to come back to your senses. God's word does not return void. I said God's word does not return void. Because when your parents have put you before the Lord, and possibly they dedicated you to him when you were an infant, when they lay you in his hands, you can try to be somebody else, you can try to be something else, but it will never work for you. Just wonder if there's anybody here my age or older who can remember when you tried to walk away from God, but he kept bringing you back. Amen. Kept bringing you back. All you have to do is hear some great gospel song, hear that chord that just goes from your head to your toes, or one of the great hymns of the church, and something just gets stirred up all inside of you. All you have to do is to hear some Holy Ghost anointed preaching, and something gets stirred up on the inside of you. Because once God places his hands on you, he never takes them off. Blessed be his name. You can resist giving God praise all that you want. You can stand there quiet and silent all you want. But you know God has been good to you. You know God has blessed you. You know God has protected you. You know God has favored you. So let everything that has breath, let the redeemed of the Lord, let the redeemed of the Lord, 
That father in our text brought his boy to Jesus, who is the Lord of spiritual power. And when that dad brought the boy to Jesus, he fell down in front of Jesus, and the, de- the devil twisted him one more time. You know, you know why? Because evil does not know when to give up. Evil does not know when to quit. So the devil thought he would twist him one more time, and one more time he started foaming at the mouth. He started convulsing, and it looked like the boy was going to be destroyed by the devil himself. But Jesus never got nervous. He never fretted for a moment. He just gently spoke to that spirit, and he said, come out of him, unclean spirit. And when Jesus spoke deliverance, the word tells us the trembling stopped, the convulsing stopped, the foaming at the mouth and gnashing of of the teeth, it all stopped. It was so dramatic that it looked like he was dead. And the people thought the boy was dead. But here's the, the good news. Jesus did then what he's doing now, and you read it this morning. I had it highlighted just specially for this moment. Jesus reached down and he lifted him up. Thank God this morning, Bethesda, he's still lifting people up. Someone here was down, but he lifted you up. You were broke, but he lifted you up. You were depressed, couldn't even get up out of the bed, but Jesus lifted you up. You were sick in the bed, but he lifted you up. You were without hope, but he lifted you up. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more, but the master of the sea heard my, I'm sorry? Heard my despairing cry from the waters, lifted me. Now safe am I. And that's why, Dad, you bring your child to Jesus. Bring your child to Jesus. Because just like he lifted me, just like he lifted you, he can lift our children. He can get those kids off of drugs. He can get them off the streets. He can get them out of terrible relationships. He can get them away from no good friends and bad company. All you have to do is bring them to Jesus. That father saw a lack of spiritual, of spiritual power in the disciples, but then he met the Lord of spiritual power. And finally, the lessons, this is short, maybe, the lessons of spiritual power had to be learned. It was the disciples who learned the lesson of real spiritual power when they asked Jesus privately, how come we couldn't do that? You did it so easily. Why couldn't we do that? They had taken note that Jesus just simply spoke a word and the the devil got out of that boy. The unclean spirit left him. And here's, here's the lesson. When the disciples asked why they couldn't do it, they tried, for sure they tried. Oh, I'm sure they tried. But Jesus said, some things, some things are just not gonna happen without prayer, prayer and fasting. Because there are some spirits that counseling won't get rid of. As great and effective as godly counseling can be, there are some spirits that even a good night's rest will not get rid of. There are some spirits that are so strong 
And there are some strongholds in young people's lives that are so strong that the, 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 the father has to come to the rescue. Dad, on this Father's Day, go get your son. Go get your son. Let the spirit of forgiveness wash all over you. I'm sure he's done every stupid thing in the world. He's embarrassed you. He's humiliated you. He's been disrespectful to you. Hasn't understood at all the sacrifice that you made for him. Acts like he doesn't give a rip. Go get that boy. Bring him to church and bring him to Jesus. Dad, go get that daughter. She's trampled all over your heart. She's ripped you to pieces. She doesn't even know the night you've cried all night in prayer to God for God's covering and protection to be over her. She didn't know that. Doesn't matter. Go get that daughter and tell them you're going to take them to church. Get that child and bring them to Jesus. Because let me tell you, real men don't run away when the going gets tough. Real men stay right in the house and declare that as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And Dad, I want to just say this to you as you stand with me this morning. I know we need to bring this to a close. If you need a fresh start, even as a dad, I remind you today that which is such a great comfort to me, that God is the God of a second chance. He's the God of a third chance, a fourth chance, a fifth chance, a tenth chance, a fifteenth chance, and on and on. His promise is that he's going to keep reaching to all of your future generations. I want to remind you what the psalmist said in Psalm 102, verse 18. It's part of what I was hinting toward when we were talking about the expansion project this morning, or a few minutes ago, that we have a literal need today. We have a need that's soon to come upon us because of the harvest that's coming around us. But we have a responsibility because Psalm, the psalmist said in 102, Verse 18, let this be recorded for future generations so that a people not even yet born will praise the name of the Lord. So what's that got to do with you? What's that got to do with me? We have a responsibility that we will be a people of consistency. We will be a people of faith. We're going to walk the walk of faith. We're going to be part of the church of the living God. We're going to keep marching forward as, as the church of Jesus so that kids not even yet born today will have a place that they are raised in and they were, that they will come to the point of saving knowledge of Jesus and that they will praise the Lord. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Blessed be the name of Jesus.